Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As a listener to this podcast, you might often fantasize about your ideal cabinet, who you'd have as prime minister, foreign secretary, chancellor or home secretary. But have you ever had that thought, but with beer? Thanks to our friends at Beer52, you can create your own cabinet of beers. You get a free case of eight craft beers and all you have to do is cover the postage of £5.95. So go to beer52.com slash party. That's the word beer, the numbers five and two, dot com slash party. And get your free case of eight beers. And you can arrange them however you like. You can create a cabinet or depending on your political leanings, a shadow cabinet or just leave them in the cabinet. And of course, the joy of a Beer 52 monthly subscription is that you can have a reshuffle every month, which would still make it more stable than most of the governments we have in the UK. It comes with a magazine and a snack. And if you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light option. You can pause or cancel at any time. So if you want to bring some stability and you don't fancy a reshuffle, you can indeed lead by example. Go to beer52.com slash party and pay £5.95 postage to get all this now. Hello and welcome to The Political Party. Today's guest is Jamie Klingler, one of the co-organisers of Reclaim These Streets, an organisation that didn't exist a few days ago, and now Jamie is at the heart of it. And Reclaim These Streets is at the heart of our national conversation. It was set up to organise a vigil to remember Sarah Everard, who was murdered, and to remember all women lost to violence. That vigil was meant to take place on Clapham Common. Reclaim These Streets cancelled that vigil after conversations with the Metropolitan Police, and we all know what happened next. People turned up, and the police reaction to that gathering has shocked the country. I talked to Jamie about all of this, and it's really interesting Of course it exists against that really grim backdrop of Sarah Everard's murder uh, and of violence against women in our society and around the world. And it's really hard to have this conversation without thinking about that. Um, But Jamie wasn't even involved a week ago and all of a sudden is now at the middle of this organisation that has the potential to change the world for the better. And it's a shame that it takes tragic events but there's something so hopeful about what reclaim these streets are doing and the potential they have to change the world in a really really positive way and that is part of the conversation we have that this is a new organization they're doing all this really quickly they're pulling together all these people and all these talents and all the people that just want to get involved and if you want to get involved all the links are are in the blurb you can donate to their just giving page you can follow reclaim these streets on twitter you can uh, volunteer and we talked i talked to jamie about uh, how to coordinate that um but i also ask not just about the events of the last few days the detail of that is really interesting jamie gets involved on wednesday on friday she's in the high court but also about whether they're thinking about where this goes and what the future of it is, and what they can learn from Black Lives Matter and other organisations like that that are formed out of 
other terrible events, but that have the potential to change the way the world thinks about things. So I think we all have to try and take that glimmer of hope about what Reclaim These Streets are doing out of the events of the last few days and weeks. Um, I began by asking Jamie about her experience of the last few days. We do talk about things in this episode that are very sensitive. So this is a trigger warning at the start, just to let you know that you may find some of this difficult to listen to. It's baffling and exciting and upsetting. Um, I keep calling myself the accidental activist because it it wasn't intentional. Like I, I was very upset about what happened. And um, personally, when Charlie Hebdo happened, I was in an editorial meeting and right afterwards we left and we went to Trafalgar Square and seeing other journalists and being around people that were grieving was really good for me and good for my colleagues. So not having that experience with this case felt like I just felt really isolated. I live alone and I hadn't had a hug. I hadn't sat and cried with my girlfriends. It had all been over WhatsApp. And the difference in the public sphere, especially when they're still looking and and you don't want to offend anybody, obviously, with the family and you're feeling so bad, but our private conversations were so dreadful and so much recounting of our own sexual abuse or harassment or times that you thought a taxi driver was going to lock the doors and not let you out. And so like my WhatsApp was a horror show. And then I tweeted something to that effect that all humans deserve the right to walk home at night. And, and it got like half a million impressions. And so on the back of that reaction, when more news came through, I, by myself, I hadn't organized with anybody. I was like, let's do a visual on Friday night. And because of magazine contacts and whatnot, I was like, I know enough women's media that I can get people down there. So I'd emailed the council and I'd emailed the police. And within 20 minutes, like from seven different places, they were like, this group of women's already doing it. So why don't you guys meet? So we um, had a bit of a WhatsApp chat and then we got on a call that night and the responsible level and the, that they were counselors and that they had already talked to the police, that we were talking about social distancing, that we were talking about respect for Sarah's family and, and reaching out to her friends and family. Like, all of the things that were important to me were important to them. And so we joined forces and immediately it was like, we were all equals in the decision-making process and stuff, which felt really good. Um, and they were really responsible, smart women. And, and a couple of them work in labor and are labor counselors. So they have experience with local councils. And that's the stuff that I can do, but I don't know how to do. Like I'm very good at health and safety stuff, but like, me getting the introductions to the people that can make the decisions would have taken a lot more time. So basically they were already having the discussions on Wednesday. So Thursday was basically all systems go. And the thing people don't think about when you're organizing stuff like this is the, the minutia. So like my Twitter account, I actually want to go back and read it once I have a second to breathe, but like I made a joke about like, I'm gonna have to freaking go to Inferno's to get this PA system, aren't I? And people were like, oh my God, can you imagine like in a pandemic asking Inferno's for help? Um, for people who don't know, Inferno's is a nightclub in Clapham. So let's just, to reclaim these streets has existed for what, less than a week? Yeah, so it's five days and we're, we're at Monday at 1.30. So, Again, I just want to sort of try and get everything in, in uh, try and understand sort of every step of this. Obviously, 
This is all in reaction to the awful murder of Sarah Everard, a murder that has shocked the people who live in that area, the whole of London, the whole of the country, people around the world. And people want to know how they can, you know, people want to know how to react to this and what they can do, I guess. So was Reclaim the Street set up, and I know it's only five days old, to organise the vigil? Was that was that the kind of thing? Or is it a fundraising? I, I know people can donate through Just Giving, and I'll put the link to that in, in, in the blurb of this show. So originally... Just, just, to, just in general, you know, a, a reaction to it in whatever way that ends up becoming something. So the, the first, the name comes from women in Clapham were told locally the way to keep yourself self safe is to stay inside. And so the women that had that took the name Reclaim These Streets was a very much a visceral reaction to, oh, so the way I can stop myself from being a victim is if I just sit in my house and I never leave again. So the Reclaim These Streets came from Sarah being allegedly taken off the streets in Clapham. The group of women that were started it were Clapham. Um, so I joined halfway through the first day. Um, and then, and I joined at the vigil stage where the whole point was vigils. There was no fundraising. There was never going to be any money involved. Um, a couple of private donors paid for things like the tea lights that I have still sitting in my living room, but, but very much we were all just volunteering our time. Um, one of the women that joined is this woman, Mary, who, um, is an academic and she does all kinds of stuff about women's body politic, but like it was us. It was literally people on Twitter seeing stuff and saying, I have the skills that can help with that. And when people are told the, the only way to be safe is to stay inside, is that, uh, are they being told that by like official people? Like the there was like a knock to knock. There was like, somebody was knocking. Someone from the police was knocking right in the area. Oh no, that's, this was the reaction. And then that, like when that spread like wildfire, it was like, it gets dark at four o'clock in London in January. Like, am I supposed to stay in my house? And and I get Ocado delivery. And most of my Ocado deliveries are men. Like, at, ha, at what point does it start being the attacker's problem and not mine? And, like, this is where the, the language around all of it. I was, I was listening to Taylor Swift's uh, Look What You Made Me Do last night because I was quite angry last night about some of the police statements being like, look what they made us do. And it's like, no, no, this is not my fault. And, and um, so Wednesday night, because on the back of the tweet, I had ended up on um, Times Radio and there were three women and we were talking about the things that we've done during our lifetimes to keep ourselves safe, whether it be um, personal defense classes, whether it be just generally hang, hanging our keys through our knuckles to keep ourselves safe. And the male host of the show was like, I've never heard of that. And all of us were like, God, we don't even think about doing it. Like, it's just such a general thing we do every day. Like I, and the other morning I went to get the papers at 6.30 before some press and some homeless guy started yelling at me. And I was like, not today, Satan, not today. And I was like, so angry. But then I walked out of the Sainsbury's where I got the papers and I went the long way around to avoid confrontation, to avoid putting myself at risk. And when people keep talking about Sarah and why this has really, really hit everyone so hard, it's because she was blameless. And it was because she wasn't drunk. She wasn't wearing a slutty dress. She wasn't 
Like she did everything that we're told to do. She called her boyfriend, said I'm on the way home. She was in a bright jumper. She was like on a lit road. And so because there's none of the stuff that often happens when people, when we question ourselves, and I think that's the part is it gets so, the misogyny gets so internalized that on nights where I got too drunk and I wasn't sure about behavior that happened and you're like, oh, maybe like, no, oh. And like so much of these conversations are, how many times, like I could not count the amount of times my ass or breasts have been grabbed in public places and pubs and, oh my God, like literally don't even tell people that I'm at with, with at the bar because it's not even worth that. Like you're looking shocked. Yeah. Talk to your female friends. This is, it's every day. It's, I mean, it's, I'm, and it's like. I know it happens, but it still doesn't reduce the shock when you hear someone else tell you that it's happened. But like, it's still it's, incredible. We stop talking about it by the time we're 17 because it happens so much. Like it, it would take up so much of my energy. Like, it would take up so much of my energy if I had to talk about it all. So like, I don't follow everyday sexism. I entirely support everyday sexism and what they do, but I don't follow that account because seeing it all every day made me less secure and made me feel less confident and made me feel less with my bubble around to go out and kick ass. And like, I'm from Philly. My bravado is very much a confident woman that can take anything on. But like my, I've, I was saying earlier, my Twitter mentions for the last two weeks or last week, because when she's been missing, have just been so, so sad. And so many people sharing their stories. And if you're telling me that you got raped and, and all the times you've been victimized, I'm not gonna like the heart under it. I owe you more respect to go back and make sure you have counseling services available. But when 17,000 people are re responding to something, like you don't have the time and you don't like the responsibility and I'm not a rape counselor. And so I'm taking that on. I'm reflecting on the times I've been victimized and it's just, it's a lot. And to not be trained and not to know about it. And then on top of that, to do like, and some of it, I put myself out there as we keep going through the story, ending up on the news and ending up on sky and BBC and all that, then it's like, you're getting, you're getting a lot of hate stuff too. So it's like, Oh my God, like, I kind of want to go back to bed with my dog for the next three days. So you, you get involved in, at that point, is it called Reclaim These Streets? Yeah. Had that name been arrived at when you get involved last week? Yeah. And we hadn't, it, it did not have Sarah's name specifically attached. It was a vigil for Sarah, but it wasn't, the hashtag and stuff wasn't about Sarah because we hadn't, we hadn't at that point spoken to her family yet. And we didn't, we wanted it to be universal. And we, we absolutely know that when black and women of color go missing and are killed, they get like one tenth of this press that a white middle-class woman goes missing gets. And I also know personally, the reason Sarah's hit me so hard is it could have been me. Like my friend Tiff lived on that street. Like it definitely could have been me. And and when you see other cases, you don't always relate to them. You don't always think, oh, I would have been in that neighborhood at that time, you know? And and that's that's a failing on all of us that we don't have or give the attention to people that really need it. How hard is it to, to handle all this when it's happening so quickly, when you're reacting I to what's happened with the policing in Clapham Common and knowing that Sarah's family are, are grieving for the loss of their daughter and they still don't know exactly what happened. Uh, how much contact has Reclaimed These Streets had with 
the family and, and do you have a, do you know how they feel about all this stuff so i one of us has been in contact with her um one of her immediate family quite a bit um i've not been privy those conversations have been very private and we haven't wanted to um interfere um there there's a sense of responsibility and then there's a, there's a movement that gets bigger than one individual and and still wanting to be respectful and and we want to consult with them on where the money goes with some of the money that's been raised but it's also like it's it's almost like the George Floyd for Black Lives Matter. Like it's it's been the final spark that kicks off a revolution. And that sounds really cocky that I think I'm in the middle of the revolution, but the swell has been immense and all-encompassing. And so like the news for the last three days, I I did 23 interviews on Saturday. And like last night there was a 25 minute live interview on Sky. And like, I thought it was gonna be four minutes and they wanted to go by, through the case and what happened with the police, like with us really, really closely. And I think that's part of where we got a little bit conflicted is we thought all systems were go, we were doing all the right things. And like, we even got like an NHS track and trace code that we were gonna have on every steward's back, like serious, serious stuff. We consulted any, or we consulted Public Health England who told us that the rate of infection, if people wore masks was gonna be fine, like we should go ahead. Um, and then the police pulled permission. So all of the focus and all of the goodwill of getting people down there then really quickly changed. And it was, do what do we do? You know, like, how do we continue this? How do we make this a thing? Do we make this a thing? Do we give up? Why? Like, in terms of optics, I felt like I was on a thick of it episode. The Met are going to stop us from, from mourning Sarah Everard, given the circumstances? Like, and then it went further than that. And, and this is where I get a bit shaky because I don't, I'm, I'm an events manager. Like, I don't know the law. I don't know this stuff well. But basically they were saying that coronavirus was more important than our human right to protest. And we were saying, and the solicitors we were dealing with were saying that it has to be done in proportionality, like that the police do not have the right to make that decision. And the police were saying, our hands are tied. You just can't do it. It's illegal. So you definitely can't do it. And that's why we went to court with them. But like, again, I'm a girl from Philly. I've been here 20 years, but like I ended up as a claimant in high court on Friday. And it was like, what is going on? Like it was the craziest circumstances. And like, we kept thinking that politically cause people were coming out in favor of us. Like Harriet Harman wrote a letter to Cressida Dick saying, not only is this legal, I will be there. And so we just kept waiting to hear that they were going to go back on it and we were going to go ahead and we were going to be annoyed that we wasted eight hours concentrating on the police instead of this. But the rule is you have to have enough money to pay for the cost if you lose. So like we had to raise 30,000 pounds to pay the Mets cost if we lost, which is a real deterrent to going to court. Um, so we did a crowdfunding for that and we had this big conversation and we were all gonna call any rich people we know and ask for some money and we were gonna do the crowdfunding. But we were also really conscious, like what does this look like to our family that we're raising money to fight the Met? And, and so there's, there's lots of different things involved and we were trying to be as considerate as possible. We did the crowdfunder and it hit in an hour. And so like after, right when we were deciding to do the crowdfunder, we had heard that we did have a backer who was gonna cover any shortfall which then we were like all right 
all systems go, we're going to court. So Friday morning was just nuts because we had to do our witness statements and we had to like get everything ready for court. And it was about how I got involved because I'm not part of that community. What, what do you mean by that? The, the legal community? I, no, no, no. I don't live in Clapham. So I didn't know the girls. So like the girls that work as counselors and some of the girls that work in labor, they know each other and work together. And then they were doing the, reclaim these streets. But I was a total outsider that came in to help because of my publicity experience and my events experience. So I had to, I was one of the witness statements that went through how I got involved, everything I kind of told you today. Um, and then it was waiting to see if we got standing and if we got into court and then it was waiting to see who the judge was. And then finally we got a time at 3.45 PM on Friday. The vigil is supposed to be at six o'clock on Saturday. We go into court on Microsoft Teams, which I've never used before. And I'll just tell you, it was not Judge Judy. Like it was so boring. It was so long. And they kept just saying paragraph four, section five, number two. And then they didn't say what it said at that. So like, I, it was just in a different language than I understand. Presumably and, you didn't have to stand up at home when the judge came in. No, no, no. We didn't do any of that. But then basically as we're going through it, the, the, I, I don't know if it's called a lawyer or a QC or what, the, the person for the Metropolitan Police, everything they had written in their case against what we were saying and everything they said to us is it's a blanket ban, you can't do it, you absolutely can't do it because of coronavirus. But then the guy that was their person was like, oh no, you absolutely can protest. You just have to do it within the parameters, but you're allowed to protest. We would never stop you protesting. And we were like, what? And then the judge was very much like, well, you, you didn't communicate with that, them for that. So you didn't need to come into court because you guys agree that you have to communicate and make this happen, but they absolutely have a legal right to protest. And so that was agreed, but because we didn't win, then the judge said, you guys have to go and find out what those parameters are. You have to meet with them and come up with a solution. Then the Met asked for us to pay their costs. And like, we were livid. And the judge said, absolutely not. Cause we're only here because you guys told them there was a ban. So that they, so like the way they then sent their press releases out was like, we lost and they won. And, but it was absolutely, you need to walk away under the law. There has to be proportionality and you have to think about how much public risk there is versus their human rights. And both of them have to be weighed up. So they said, go away, sort it out come up with a solution. So we didn't take that as we had lost and our lawyers didn't take it as we had lost. It was that it shouldn't have gone to court because had each party acted in good faith, we would have gotten to a solution and not wasted their time. So we go into a two hour sustained um, negotiation with the police, local police from Lambeth and people from um, Scotland Yard. And the local people from Lambeth have acted in the same way they've acted the whole time really, really supportive. How can we help you do this? How can we make women feel safe coming to the common that night? What ways can we do it so that you're able to do this? And it is going to be an emotional event. What can we provide for safeguard? And is that Lambeth Council or is that the local Lambeth police? Local Lambeth police. Okay. And um, I don't know if I'm, I don't know the woman's name, but the woman um, who was Scotland Yard, no give. Nope, not doing it, not doing it. We will look the other way between 6 and 7 p.m. If you guys decide to come, we will look the other way between 6 and 7 p.m. 
but not you won't be arrested because we, we were threatened with criminal prosecution plus 10,000 pounds each if we continued in an illegal vigil. So like 10,000 pounds per organizer. effectively representative of um, Reclaim the Streets, not 10,000 pounds per protester that could have... <laughs> the organizers. So my that personal, is a huge amount of money. So my personal liability was huge. And what happened was, I was joke. I have joked a lot about us being the Clapham Nine. So we left the meeting with the police knowing that they basically told us the only way you can do this is cancel. So at one point, um, Jess, who is one of us, said we can do it from 12 to 4 and 4 to 8. We can do a moving line of remembrance where we don't let anyone stop. We can do what are we allowed to do? You have to tell us what you're not going to arrest us for and what I'm not going to get fined 10,000 pounds for. You just have to you have to tell us if it's only 30 people. But at least you're telling us and they and they wouldn't they wouldn't put anything in writing. They wouldn't give us any way to make it happen. And so then just went into the other mode, which was you guys do know people are coming anyway. If we're not there, we can. And are we still going to be liable for whatever happens? Because we are going to cancel it on the news. If we cancel it everywhere, am I still going to get arrested for trying to do something respectful? Um, and at this point that night, I really, really thought that we were half and half. Half of us were like, let's go for it. Let's get arrested, whatever. They're, let's have them handcuff us. And then we, we had one of the best conversations of my adult life. And I went from thinking it was going to be 12 angry men to like nine really passionate women who had come from it from all different points of view, talking about what we thought was right, why we had gotten into this, why we had originally started doing it what we cared about. And actually the idea that the other 31 women up and down the country that were going to have vigils would also be liable for 10 grand just felt shitty. Like it felt like the worst possible thing to put them in their careers and like the criminal prosecution side of it. And we kept saying the optics would be so bad if they actually did that to all of us. But then we kept saying, but they've done this and they haven't listened to us and they've silenced us and it's embarrassing and it's really upsetting. But then the big turning point on it all was all of this has pulled focus from what's happened. It's all pulled focus from Sarah and it's pulled focus from violence against women and women getting killed. And, and that wasn't, we didn't do it for a fight with the Met. We didn't do it for the publicity of any of it. Like this was not, none of this could have been mapped out. We did it to have a peaceful place to get some solidarity and to feel community and to, and to cry a lot. And I, I won't at all talk about how many tears there were on that call, but by the time all nine of us had spoken, we had such a clear voice together that the last thing in the world we wanted to do was line the pockets of the Met. And so if we came out the next morning, and this was, this was 2 a.m., but if this, at, at the next morning, if we came out with a target for fundraising of the 320,000 pounds in fines that we would have had to pay, then we were happy to cancel it if that money could go to women's charities. And so we, we pivoted to an online vigil with Feminists of London who had been working on that anyway and were so welcoming to us. Because groups that have different audiences sometimes get, get bitchy and get like ter territorial about things. And they didn't at all. They were like, come in with welcome arms and, um, and, and made it a really beautiful and safe space for us to talk and be there that night. And, um, and we could send audience to that, which was great. Um, and then we did the candlelight vigil on people's doorsteps. But like, 
there were so many tears that night because we didn't want to offend her family, but we felt like focus had been, had, had become a political right to protest um, rather than about the violence against women. And because of the number of women that had reacted, we really wanted to make sure that women of color felt included. And we were talking about all the women that go missing, all the women that get killed at the hands of men. Um, but for, for nine people that don't know each other, it's a hell of a lot of responsibility. And it's, and you're getting trashed online and you're trying to deal with that and you're trying to make be all things for all people and do your day job. So Saturday, Saturday was really hard and we all agreed to stay home and do the online vigil. And, and the online vigil for me went till 645 and then I was supposed to be live on Sky News at seven. And when you go live, they give you like three minutes before you're on and you're, you're watching what they're playing for their audience. And that's when it started to get rough. And that's when I started to see people get kneeled on by police and arrested and like, and hear screams and, and see tra flowers trampled and, and see like, I, I'm devastated. Like I'm devastated that something that started as with worthy, worthy reasons. And I'm a little bit annoyed at myself that I didn't go. I, I, I think I was a bit of a coward. And I don't think the women that I worked with were cowards, but I, I, I feel responsible for the women that went anyway and were willing to get arrested and willing to put themselves on the line that maybe I didn't do enough and maybe I didn't stand up hard enough. Well, I think you're being too hard on yourself and you were in a different position. You'd, you'd been in the high court the day before, you know, the, the gravity of the consequences of turning up was far starker for you than people. Well, not that they won't start for any of the people, People might not have perceived that they were at threat in the in the way that you did. And so afterwards, obviously, we've done tons and tons of press, and we've and and part of the legal advice we got was we could say what happened with Scotland Yard, we could say what the Met did, and that they didn't act in good faith. While we were having that two-hour meeting with them after the verdict, they sent out the press release saying it was canceled during the negotiations, um, which was. Which again, when I'm saying that I, I didn't act with enough courage, I have, a, I have a long history of being a very well-behaved woman. And this was nine very well-behaved women. And we, we played by the rules. We played by the rules to the point that we went to high court. And then we continued to play by the rules. And there, was, there were huge consequences. There were huge consequences. But like, maybe if we just hadn't said anything, like if we had all spontaneously shown up, you know, like, there's a lot of ifs, but then yesterday morning, and again, because of this whole circus, I was doing press at six o'clock yesterday morning. I was on Times Radio. And the, again, the call that they're playing is the deputy commissioner saying that the reason the cops had to interject was because everyone crowded in to hear the speakers. And I was like, are you kidding me? I had a PA system that I paid two grand for. If I had done that, you can't blame us that there was no PA system or blame the women that attended that they crowded in after you said that there couldn't be a PA system. Like there's been no responsibility taken. There's been no, like my vision for it was very much like Black Lives Matter when cops kneeled down next to the protesters and showed solidarity. I fully expected, especially because of our dealings with Lambeth police, that the, the cops would be handing out tissues. Like I expected that kind of reaction 
And instead it was, it's been pouring gasoline on fire. And like, we say there's violence against us. Okay, let's show us, let's do it. Let's do show and tell. Like, let, and, and that's the part that I just can't get my head around. It's like people that are not involved with this world at all are looking at this and just going, oh my God, they arrested a 15 year old yesterday. I just found out like a 15 or no, it's wait, it's Monday. Sorry. On Saturday days are running together, but like they arrested a 15 year old. They're only arrested four people. And one was a child like, and, and so Patsy, who is the redhead woman, who's gorgeous and her face has been everywhere, obviously. Um, <laughs> so I met her yesterday on zoom and just, she was overwhelmed by the amount of media exposure and was asking me how I was doing live interviews and how to stay composed and that she's like, how do you not cry through them? And I was like, there's been a couple and then I've canceled a couple, you know, like if they're back to back to back to back and I'm feeling too fragile, it's better to just say, nope, they can talk about whatever. They can do their talking head stuff for a little bit longer. You don't owe them anything. Like you don't owe them. But she was showing us her bruises and like saying that she went to lay a candle and she got arrested. She And like, she got taken down and it's like, what part of anybody in this situation thought that those pictures are going to make women more likely to report harassment or rape, more likely to go into a police station? Like, I, I'm baffled by it. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And especially as, as you say, that the police in Lambeth have taken a different approach. The and the police in Nottingham. Nottingham, my home city, where the, the coverage has been very, very different. Uh, and and misogyny is illegal there. They've made misogyny illegal. They, they gave people a safe space. That's the other thing. We could have had 41,000 people socially distanced in Clapham Common. It's massive. It's not like we were holding it at a stadium and we could just shut the doors. Like, And people are saying that we should have blood on our hands because we started organizing it. And it's like, I, I don't know what else I could have done to make it safer. And we had it all in place. But when you remove all of those and then you put cops in the middle of it, like if I was them, I would have stayed well away. I also, our risk assessment with the police would have talked about agitators and would have talked about groups coming in that were not aligned with having a vigil and that cops should have been briefed to look out for them and to keep them away. That's who needed to be protected was the audience of that vigil. That's you needed agitators out. You needed people that were going to cause mayhem, but you did not need women that were putting flowers down to get flattened. And you did have agitators. At least one bloke turns up with a Palestinian flag and starts ranting about something else. I mean, that happens. At, I don't think I've ever been on a protest where it isn't hijacked by someone 
sadly, it always seems to, uh, there is often a Palestinian flag involved with this because it's often, well, let's Is that like the where's Waldo of protests? Well, you just, this, I guess so. There's always elements of, there are people that like to go to every protest with their personal thing, whether it's to do with that protest or not. And that is, you well, know, like, but with happens. risk assessments, so I did I did a big seafood festival at Battersea Power Station and we were going to have an outdoor screen and we were talking about putting the euros on. And part of our risk assessment was that we couldn't put the euros on with that many bars around and not expect loudish behavior. So these are the conversations that when you're responsibly organizing something, you have as part of your risk assessment. Had we, were work, had we been working with the police to make it happen, all of the stuff about agitators or other groups and then, the, and then there would have been enough of us if you see that happening. You have Stuart say, cops, this is what, and you think that the cops are your allies to go silence and take care of that. Whereas this was set up of shame on you and them yelling at the police that we don't need your policing. Some of the chants though, that I was watching live were like the most middle-class chants I've ever heard. It was like, I, I, I wrote some of them down at one point, but it was, it was really like, not very lyrical, but very much like, we don't need your service right this minute. <laughs> like, but it was, we were, if, if I cannot get a permit to protest in these circumstances, who are they gonna give it to? 85 year old women that, that are not mobile? Like it, the, the other people in society that want a voice, if I can't do it and I got the money to go to court and I've got all this exposure and we still, have gotten silenced. And so there's a bigger thing here. Yes, and you basically did everything right. You consulted with them beforehand. You tried to find out what you could do, acted in good faith. You called it off. You put it out on the social media in the run-up to Saturday. It's off, do it from home. You, you've engaged in such good faith. And and Cressida hasn't met with us until this afternoon. And, how and that's that after public. That's uh-huh. happening in an hour. Okay. Uh, since the weekend, obviously, there's been even more uh, focus on you and, and, and reclaim these streets and you know, the founding principles of it and what it could achieve. And, and obviously the wider conversation about violence against women in society. Today- we raised half a million pounds though. We raised half a million pounds in two days, which like in all of this, we keep having to, take a second and think about how many women that's actually gonna help. And that's hard to do right now because people are screaming at us that we're not a registered charity and we haven't done enough work on it. But like, we we literally haven't had a second to get that governing board together to, to do that stuff. Like we would have loved to have gift aid attached, but you can't get that until you have the charity. But like, we literally haven't had a minute. Like this was set up on the fly. We never had any intention of raising money we want to talk to Sarah's family about her favorite charity. So part of it can go there, but like the generosity we've had over 21,000 donors, like that's insane. Like charities that get 5,000 pounds on a, on a drive are really happy about it. Like to watch it go to half a million, but we haven't had the celebrations and we haven't had all that because it's like, it's just an onslaught of people saying like, that you're thieves or that you're going to use the money yourselves or and like we're going to get a governing board we're going to do all that it's just it's been reactive like we haven't i sound really defensive twitter's not a nice place well i was going to say i think um and i know i'm not although you know we all get stuff on twitter i realize it's very very different for you in this circumstance and different in general but uh 
that's not reflective, I'm sure, of, of general public opinion. I think most people are really impressed with what you're doing and really want to help and really want to donate and, and do something in some way to stop. And that's our thing now happening. is like getting getting what the next steps are, getting the goals out to Sadiq and getting the goals out to Crested Dick and saying these are our asks and then organizing the volunteer base and getting getting those volunteers. And my big thing about volunteering is I'm not going to go and do something that doesn't use my skills. So I'm really about getting people to volunteer in areas where they can make a difference and that we can maximize their potential. So like I'm working on the volunteer form now of like what you're interested in, where we can use you. So like if you're really good at fundraising, let's use you there. If you're really good at doing events, let's use you there. But again, like I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm learning from people that do and trying to make it up as I go along. Are people listening to this? will have so many skills and they'll want to help. So if someone's listening to this now saying, I want to help, where should they go? What should they do? So to start with, the Just Giving page is the best way to start because as soon as anything happens, that's where we'll use that database to go out to people and say, this is happening. Um, a lot of what we're talking about is that the money needs to go to getting legal access for women that are unheard and don't have their voices. Um, women like refugees that are in domestic violence situations that don't feel like they can go to the police because they'll get deported. And, and like, we're very conscious of our privilege. And it's like, it's insane that I was in the high court. Like, I, I still don't really understand how that happened so quickly. But um, I'm very conscious that my voice has been heard a lot for the last five days, that it has never been heard before like that. And the voices of, and people that go missing now, we're very, very conscious of getting that out and getting that as much publicity as possible. Um, we really want the relationship between cops and the public to improve and the bridge needs to improve there. We think they need a lot of training. We think um, we think there's a hell of a lot of system, sorry, systemic misogyny within the police department. A lot today was about, did we want to call for Custody Dick's resignation? And for us, that's not at the top of our list. It's getting the whole organization to look at how they talk to rape victims, how they talk to victims of harassment that come in. Like if we get a head on a stick, what does that do? Like, I, I'm not, I don't care. I don't care who heads it. I, I care how police treat the women that are walking by them in the morning. I, I care how we treat other women that we see. Like I've barely been out of my flat for the last five days, but the one time I went on a longer dog walk, I said hi to every woman I saw, and I was emotional about saying hi to every woman I saw because I, I have been really isolated through this process, and reading all of these stories has has been hard. And like I, I know that after all of this, and there's going to be quite an interesting come down period. A friend of mine did a lot of refugee in Calais work, and she's like, I have a couple of counselors if you want to talk to them about it. She's like, because the the burnout level is really high with organizers because you take it all on and you're empathetic and you you live it a bit and then then you kind of get scared to go outside because you think you're going to get raped every third step because all you've heard all day is rape stories so i i think that there's there's got to be a leveling off point i know that we've only got this little window of opportunity with the media that they really want to see our faces and hear our stories um so we've got to make the most of it and try to get as much policy change that we can um but I don't know much about how that policy works. So since Saturday, since that shocking, heartbreaking footage, it feels as if though 
one of the side effects of that is that people have, I mean, people were already engaging with the story, but they're engaging with it far more now. And there's a real reaction to the way that the police handled that, including perhaps in the corridors of power. I mean, do you get the sense now that the prime minister, the mayor of London, senior political figures in both political parties are opening their doors to you, are genuinely listening? A hundred percent. So the task force that Boris is having is today, which is the next day of after all that happened. Um, Carrie and Boris putting a light out at number 10. Like, that's a big deal. Like, putting that candle out is a big deal. Um, I got into a taxi to go do an NBC interview, and I came on the radio, which is really weird. And the taxi driver mentioned that he talked to his son about it and about the responsibility of being a man, and I burst into tears because he didn't know it was me. And, like, that's real change. That's getting into people's living rooms and getting into their houses and talking to their sons change. And like, that's the point. The point is educating our boys and sons better and, and dads and grandfathers talking about when they didn't, when they violated a woman, when they violated a woman's space and they thought it was funny or they thought it was a joke or they thought it was flirty. And it wasn't. This morning along the canal, um, a little girl was riding like uh, her first two-wheeler and her dad was like, just give everybody space. Make sure you don't go too close to anybody. Just give everybody space. And the girl I was walking with and I were like, that's all we need. If, if everybody had social distancing around them, a lot of this harassment would go away. Like if people always gave women a little bit more space, if everybody just acted like you were on a two-wheeler and you were going to fall over and you gave people human space to feel confident. Um, there was a thing on TikTok that what would you do if there was no men in the world? What's the first thing you would do if there's no men in the world? And it's a younger audience, obviously. And like 70% of it was I'd walk around at night with the headphones in. And it was like, holy shit. Like that's such a basic, easy right to give women that they can just walk around without worrying about being touched, without worrying about being grabbed, without worry. Like Imagine just not worrying about it at all. Just not ever thinking about who's behind you, but not ever running up a little bit closer because there's a couple. So, you know, you'll be safer if you're in their eyesight. Like, and, and the deeper breaths, the deeper sleeps, the like, and I, I said this on the news, like I'm 42. I'm, I just thought I'd age out of this by now. And, and the woman that was the BBC presenter was like, I'm 52. It doesn't go away. And like, but we don't talk about it with our husbands because it's boring. If that was the conversation every night, we don't talk about it with everybody all the time because it's it's a boring conversation because it's every single day. Like when they say 97% of women are harassed, they're not harassed once. And like one of my guy friends wrote on his Facebook wall, he's like, how many times a year do you feel fear? And we're like, it's a low level trepidation every day. And it's, and it's, it's called keeping your wits about you. It's called keeping yourself safe. It's, but it's, it's, we never finish that say, sentence. You're keeping yourself safe for men. And I'm in a relationship. Everyone I know has a lover or a boy, like not everyone. Obviously people are in different relationships with different sexes and stuff. But, but like we all have men in our lives that we love. We do not think men are monsters. This is not, and like, but it's about them not being aware when they might make a woman scared, whether or not it's, whether or not it's valid, when they're on their phone and they're big and they're hulking and, and you're feeling like they're coming up on you because they're walking fast behind you. Not necessarily that you're trying to be intimidating, but that your lack of awareness makes us responsible for being more aware. And that combination is what 
where the difference is and that combination is where the fear is. Obviously that doesn't solve everything, but there's, there's a, a, an awareness that has to take place where there's reckoning and there's, oh shit, I, I thought I was being funny. She didn't find that funny. It's reading body language better. It's, it's cracking down on, I, I, on penis pics. I don't know if I can say, but like it's, it's children sending naked pictures to each other and encouraging, like it's at a very young age that it becomes other and it becomes different and, and scary and people like stop the human stuff where it's like my bubble of consent and my, my way of being around people. I'm a very physical person. I use my hands a lot. I'm very tactile. I'm not saying people shouldn't touch me and I shouldn't be hugged and I shouldn't, but it's, it's, you only have that right. If I'm giving you that right. If I want you in my personal space, if I want you in my area, like, and when a woman's running with headphones on, she certainly doesn't want to stop. Has anyone ever gotten a date because you grab somebody while they're running? No, it scares the crap out of them. Don't ever do it. And it's, it's just those boundaries that I don't, I think etiquette is gone where people just don't treat people like, it with respect. And it's like, just don't do it. Think about it. And being drunk isn't an excuse. Like think about how you're doing. And I hate the whole, oh, I've got a daughter. So now I understand. I have a sister. I have a wife. Now I understand. No, you're a person. You should understand because you're human. Like it's, this stuff isn't rocket science. You have huge potential now to change yeah. society for the better. And if you think about you know, the great civil rights movements, uh, social justice organisations. In the last few years, it's been Black Lives Matter. You watch any Premier League football match, players are yeah. taking the knee before kickoff and it's displayed on the shirts. It's been taken really seriously at that sort of level. Now, a, a deep systemic social change um, may be a bit slower, but certainly now corporations and big influential things like the Premier League and like football are far more involved and far more aware of these things than they were. Now, there's still, as I say, huge progress to be made. But do you look at Black Lives Matter, not necessarily as in the politics of the organisation and everything, but but as a phrase that's become so powerful, reclaim these streets could have a similar thing. You know, this could go global. You could see it on shirts, on hoardings. I mean, not that that's the point, but... In a way, does Black Lives Matter give you something to kind of um, try and recreate or emulate? Yeah, and I'd love, I would love to talk to some of the original organizers just to have some support of what the hell's going on. Can I read you something that I got sent last night that like blew my mind a bit? So this is from an ex-boyfriend who I've not seen or talked to in 10 years. Hi, Jamie. I hope you're well. Really inspiring interview and expressions over the weekend on TV. Very eye-opening and such a succinct way of literally making me as a man, and I hope many others like me, think in a completely different way. I feel a responsibility more than ever to realign what masculinity is and just be way more aware every day of how men must understand and do everything possible to help this change with my friends, my brothers, my extended family at any possible time. I will do my best to initiate it. You're brilliant. Thank you. Like, I cried for an hour last night and like, I haven't seen this person in 10 years, but like that felt like, oh my God, this is, this has legs. This has gotten out there and it, it's making conversations in families happen. Like that felt like, holy shit, this is real. Like this, this isn't going away. This, this is a life changer and a game changer. 
it's so hard, I guess, to, to know this because you've only been involved in this for five or six days and so much has happened. And it's in the context of just a uh, just such an awful thing. And, and, and in the wider context of a terrible thing. But when you think about the future and the, and the, trying to, the sort of future you're trying to shape, you, you do have you have people's attention now and you have potentially a vehicle and a way to to have influence something that so few campaigners will ever get for the thing that they really care about obviously you're dealing with just the immediate thing i mean you were in the high court the other day you're reacting to the policing of clapham common have there been any conversations yet about where this could all go and and the decisions that you take now that that might affect the potential of your campaign for the future yeah and they're really scary because it's a lot of responsibility and it's it's a lot of it's a lot of trying to do big sky thinking while you're exhausted, while you're, you know, like if we had tried for this, it would never have happened because it's landed in our laps in, a, in extraordinary circumstances. It's what are the aims that affect the most women? So how, how do we hit that 97 percent? So that 97 percent where it is all women, um, it's how do we get it? It's changed. And how do we get them to report harassment or how do we? How do we get the language that we use around that stuff to change so that so that in school it's it's taken a lot more seriously? Like and and so much of it I think has to start really, really young. Because I think the respect levels and the the sexualization of girls too young makes them the other and it makes them scary and not you can't talk about them. Because as soon as you're friends with somebody, they're more human. You're you're angry on their behalf when it happens for them. They're not this scary. Thing under the bed that you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And like, part of it is women to be able to, girls and women to learn to be able to deal with this confidently and have these conversations and, and to be able to do, I think peer education is a big deal. I think when you learn from people in your age group, you're, you're a lot more likely to be honest about what you're scared of if you do like those type of lessons and those types of language stuff. But like, part of what's scary for me is I'm not an educator and I'm not an expert. I'm just going on gut feeling of what worked for me to influence the men in my life and what are the the defining things that happened to them that made them treat women the way they treat women and how you repeat them. So it, if you deal with the men that are the guys that you spend your time with that do respect women, what changed along the way? Did they call people out for rapey behavior? Like the, the fact that we call guys that we know and we're like, oh my God, that guy's rapey. Like that should not be an adjective, that, but it very much is, you know, like, and, and using your friendship circles and like coming up with language to talk about that stuff a lot earlier, I think is really important. Um, but also violence in homes, like domestic violence and racism and sexism go together so, so easily. And like, if I'm not listened to, when I go to a police station to report stalking behavior and I'm just told it's an ex-boyfriend and he just really likes you that what is a woman who doesn't have my race doesn't have my vernacular walking into a police station what is she getting told when she's saying this guy that she dated for six months is hanging around her house all the time cops don't want to deal with that they don't like I have had that situation happen to me with a with a stalking incidences and I had to go 15 times and it's still not resolved and it's like, I've been told by solicitors that it's third party stalking. I've been told I've, I've got cease and desist that I've gone privately. Do you know that it costs 7,000 pounds to get a private restraining order against somebody in this country? That's just beyond the reach of most people. I know. And I, I brought that to the police and said, 
I don't have seven grand to get this man to leave me alone. And they were like, oh my God, it can't be that much. And I was like, I literally have the letter that tells you how much it is. But that's their recommendation is, oh, this is domestic or take that privately. Like the dismissal of the term, this is domestic. Like these are the things. And I'm a loudmouth, obviously. I've been on TV all the time this week, but like the police have silenced me. And then they did it in court. And then they did it yesterday saying that it was our fault that, you know, like this is not my fault. And this constant victimization, like the narrative of they came in too close to the bandstand and that's why we had to violently push them back. Like, what? I, like tone deaf doesn't quite cover how badly it has gone. So for you, last Wednesday, you see this all happening. You think I want to get involved. I can bring a set of skills. And you, you talk about when you're dealing with volunteering, allocating people according to what they can actually do and what they want to do. You just throw yourself into this and the people running it at the time just welcome you with open arms and you're in. I mean, it's remarkably, there'll be a lot of people listening to this, a lot of activists, a lot of campaigners, a lot of lobbyists who sometimes you know, trying to get stuff going is so hard or people perceive that there are barriers to this stuff. In a way, the lesson of, of what you've done, even in a short space of time is get involved with people and, and put yourself at the center of it. And people will often just welcome you in. Well, I know that people have done a background check on me because they were like, she went to university here and she's just popped up. What are your credentials? And I was like, I have none. Like I, this, this was not some big plan that I was like, how am I going to start a media career? This was literally, I felt passionately about something. I asked to help with something and the magnitude of it has swallowed us. Um, and, and in some ways it swallowed the original Sarah Everard and her horrific horrific, the crime against her. Um, and the base of it was all of our deep grief and solidarity with her family. And, and really that's where it started. Um, and it's, it, I, I feel weird comparing her to George Floyd, but I also, all, everything has to start somewhere and the, the groundswell behind it and like being in the eye of the storm and every analogy I can come up with, like, I, I don't quite know what all of my emotions are. So like, I, I keep trying to take some stock and take a minute. And yesterday was mother's day and my mom died. And I was like, she would have been so fucking proud. And like, she was a protester. She was very, very active. And that's why the girls yesterday, I was like, I don't care anything else going on. We're going to take five minutes and think about where half a million pounds will go to women. And, and that, that will change lives, that will change circumstances for people, that will protect people. Like whether or not everything is gonna be smooth sailing, it's, it's not, we, like it's, it can't happen at this clip and be smooth sailing. Um, but I have never met or worked with people that have been so selfless and so dedicated and, and, and it's crazy, like it is crazy circumstances. Um, and we're excited to see what happens and feel hopeful because of the groundswell and because people are showing that they've had enough. Like there is definitely a, it is time and we're not gonna say, like we're not, we're stopping being good girls. We're, we are going to continue with this until someone listens to us and until we activate some real change. And with the skills you bring, um, obviously you're a powerful advocate, a powerful communicator. And that's been, that's been a real benefit 
to reclaim these streets in the last few days. You also have a background in marketing and branding and all sorts of things. You came up with National Burger Day. Um, and not to trivialise this, because I, I realise it sort of brings... It, I don't want people to think I'm being flippant by bringing that in, but that obviously having... Uh, Having the ability to think about campaigns and think about uh, communicating with the public, and I, I don't ask this in a flippant way at all. Are there things that you, you've learned from doing National Pizza Day and National Burger Day and, and the other campaigns that you've been involved in for different things and your history working in telly that have kind of been useful in the last few days? Oh my God, absolutely. So Burger Day was my birthday. But the, the actual cause and the reason we were doing it was to get people's email addresses and do 20% off at 1,500 restaurants. So like you can have the party and you can have the stunt, but the stunt is only 20%. The stunt is only the cherry in the top. So any event we do from here on out will only touch between 5 and 10% of the people we want to reach. The rest is the actual work, the petitions, the campaigning, the signatures, the pressure on local representatives, the pressure on government. So the actual work isn't sexy. The, 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 the thing that gets on telly, fine. Like whatever protests we do about stopping street harassment, about stopping people calling you on the street and stuff like that. Um, yeah, we will do stuff that will get some publicity that'll get us in some papers every now and again. But the real work has to start. The, the, the figuring out what changes laws, what changes bills, like that's the stuff that is really boring, but takes all of the effort and all of the time and then makes girls that are growing up now not go through what I've gone through. And so like my campaigning work is I know how to do really sexy events that that get on the cover of everything, like National Burger Day. I think when I, last year we had 2,500 restaurants celebrating it. Like it's it's a national day. Burger King and McDonald's talk about it. Like there's burgers named after me or whatever. And it's my birthday. It's really fun. But the real thing is that we get everyone's email addresses and then we can market to them the rest of the year. So like there's real causes and then there's the glittery part. And mostly I'm very good at the glittery part and the women I'm working with are good at the grassroots campaigning and levels and, and how to make policy. Like we met with Sadiq Khan today. I've never met the mayor before. <laughs> um, I'm meeting with Cressida Dick in 25 minutes. I would never have been in that room before. So like the women that I'm working with, our skill sets are really different and really complementary. So it's also not just surrounding yourself with the women that are just like you so that you get shit done. And like. And how was the meeting with Sadiq? It was really, it was really interesting and good. Um, his deputy mayor was there and another woman whose name I don't remember was there. Um, and so a lot of it is that was the introduction and now let's start to work. But it was um, pushing on an open door, I think is the best way to say how he treated us and how he thanked us for our service to the women of London and the women of the country, which it's it's quite nice to hear it put that way because I, I, I'm still, I feel like I'm kind of in a, in a haze about it all because I, it hasn't sunk in yet. Like I haven't stopped enough to think about what becoming an accidental activist looks like, but this will be one of the highlights of my life. Yes, and uh, again, set against that that sort of grim context, sadly. Um, now, you, you're meeting, as you say, with Cresta Dick in 25 minutes. So I don't want to keep you too much longer because you've got to prepare for that. It's a very important meeting. By the time people listen to this, that meeting will have happened. So what are you going to say to her? Um, I think that 
that there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of anger at the way she played politics with the statements about us. Um, like sending out a press release when we're in good faith negotiating with your officers is really disrespectful. Um, asking for the court case, the court fines was really disrespectful. Um, giving statements, pra not praising, but dismissing the behavior of the police on Saturday night, I think was irresponsible and really disrespectful. Um, and I want to understand why she thinks it's okay to silence me. And I don't come from a thing where I've, I'd ever have access to her to ask her that. But why does she think it's okay for her organization to tell me to shut up and sit down? And ideally, what would you like to get out of the meeting? I, I really want massive, massive training given by organizations run by women of color and training that about racism and about sexism and about survivors of sexual abuse talking to cops. I, about the language they use. Like, I think there needs to be not, not an hour's like unconscious bias training. I think there needs to be a week long, like really intensive course for every officer to go through and that you need a top up every three years or something where, where you're really, really taken out of your office and you're, and you're put in the barracks with people that have, that have been raped, that have been sexually assaulted. And, and some of the thing that's so hard about sexual assault and harassment is because the incidences, once it happens, they say that it repeats so much, is like, you feel like you're in a, you're always a victim of it. Like you feel like it's happening again. And like every time you get harassed again, every time somebody grabs you again, it's these triggering things that like keeps happening. And then when the cops tell you it's not important enough or you you were too drunk or you weren't, you know, like it's, it's so frustrating to not feel like there's a safe space to report these things because most women should believe that if something happens to you, you go to the cops and they take care of it, or at least they try to take care of it. If they don't find the bad guy, they don't find the boogeyman, there's more understanding. But when the cops don't even give you the credibility that you had a right to come into that room to tell them about it, then you never go back to that room. You're not going to waste your time, you know? So I think there's a huge, and I think the damage of the pictures from this, from Saturday is, is is immeasurable right now. Well, I hope that meeting goes well. Who knows? You might even get an apology. Oh, Am I holding breath? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm holding my breath. Jamie, this has been so uh, brilliant. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time in in the middle of, as you've said. I mean, we haven't talked about it specifically, but just what must be the most bizarre time in your life? Yeah, um, I do want to end on how many women are killed and that that all of those women deserve the same horror and moments of silence and contemplation over dinner tables um while women are getting killed and while there's violence against women at the hands of men none of us have the society we deserve and none of us have where we want to be and so it really benefits us all to learn and grow from what's happened and and to have the conversations because i think that's the starting point it's not about hating on each other or, or trying to divide more. It's really about having the conversation, sending the messages, sending the messages saying, I don't know that I've been willing to talk about this before, but tell me how you feel. Tell me what your week looks like and tell me how I can help in my day-to-day -day life make other people more comfortable around me. Where are my blind spots? Well, Jamie, you're an inspiration. 
not just on this issue, but for activists everywhere about how you can get involved with campaigns and, and affect social change. And the potential you've got now is huge. Um, so I'm sure people listening to this will get involved, will get in touch with you and, and, and hopefully help you change the world for the better. Good luck in the meeting with the Met, with Cressida Dick. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It'd be great to have you back on in the future. Thank you. Thank you. That meeting with the Metropolitan Police is happening right now as I record this, so I'm afraid I don't have a PS to bring you about what has happened in there. By the time you listen to this, you may well know. And of course, in the coming days and weeks, there'll be more announcements, reactions, policies and all sorts of things that hopefully move us in the right direction. But what a powerful communicator Jamie is, what a compelling advocate. And that just, I hope, fills us all with hope that out of this terrible event and this grim context something really really positive can happen and reclaim these streets can capitalize on that potential to affect huge social change and if you want to get involved you can all the links are there in the blurb you can donate to the just giving page follow reclaim these streets on twitter get involved as an activist donate your time uh, get in touch with jamie and let her know what you can do uh, so thank you for downloading this uh email the show politicalpartypodcast.gmail.com i've had some great guest suggestions, some of which I've followed up on, and leave a review on iTunes, and I'll see you next week. Ta-ra. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.